Good morning, Grace Point. How are we this morning? You haven't scared me away yet, so that's good. It's good to be back with you guys this morning. In fact, I had, you know, we always joke with our pastors, like, why did you get into ministry you know, when you're talking about, like, why did you become a pastor? And people ask me this all the time, and I say it's because I couldn't sit through a sermon. <laughs> so you guys are so gracious with me. And uh, it is partially true. Like, I, would, I just have, like, this thing in me, like, I have to keep moving around. I can't just sit down in one place too long. And uh, so, you know, it's like when I'm listening to sermons throughout the week, I'll usually listen on my commute to work or um, when I'm driving or I'll be doing something outside in the yard. I'll just be listening to one of my headphones and it's like, I can do that. But man, sitting through a sermon, I'm like, gosh, just like tapping my foot and like looking at the, I'm like, I go all over the place. So you guys are very gracious. And uh, like I say, it's great to be back this morning. Um, But part of also being a pastor, though, is like when you hit certain passages of the word, and I know you guys are blessed with Pastor Gunner here. He's very committed to going verse by verse through the Bible. And that type of teaching is is challenging in a way. It's great because you get to get every single verse of the Bible, but it's challenging in the sense that you have to hit every verse of the Bible, and there's nothing you can skip. And there's things in the Bible that talk about, you know, especially when you talk about poverty and just things that we're dealing with today, inequality, anxiety, commitment, um, and contentment. We come to, come to this today, and there's these, these passages that really want to they, they dig deep into our being. And that's, this is uh, things that we can't skip, but I know that God is in the process of transforming us and shaping us to match our calling. We're in this process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. And, and as I was thinking about it, it's almost like, how many of you guys use pressure-treated wood when you have an outside project? So you're building a, an outside shed or an outside um, covering, and I use pressure-treated wood. And you use that kind of wood because there's these preservatives that are forced into this wood, into the deep core of that wood, so that way it preserves the wood so it can stay strong in the sun, in the winter, in the rain. Um, it doesn't want to bend. It doesn't get corrupted by animals or anything else that want to work their way into it. And the process is kind of interesting. Like, it actually has to be put into this tube and then, like, filled up with this liquid to preserve it and then pressured in, like, forced in. And it's kind of the same idea that the Holy Spirit is being pushed into our being every single day. That's the process that we're going through is that as we're walking with God, as we're seeking him more, he's working his way into every being, every little part of our body. So we thought, okay, God, I've already surrendered my whole self to you. And then like something else comes up, a challenge in life. And we're like, okay, I guess I haven't surrendered that yet. And you're like, I don't know if I want to do that just yet. So we're going to be looking at that. God is still in this process of getting into every part of our being. And this morning, I want to convince you you guys, um, this is my goal in teaching today, that a life spent whole, with wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ is better than all of the riches and the comforts that this world has to offer. So that's, that's my goal this morning. So here we go. If you guys will open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, ending in verse 14 this morning. So if you're opening your Bibles, if you hit Colossians or 1st 2nd Timothy, you've gone a little bit too far, just turn left. If you uh, hit 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you just keep flipping right, you'll see it. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, if you guys would read along with me, um, we're going to be here. So it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In plenty, or in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Would you guys all bow your heads and let's pray this morning. 
Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word in our time together. This morning, would your spirit be poured out? Would your spirit open our ears to hear what your spirit has for church this morning? Lord, would you soften our hearts that you could uh, be saturated deeper into our being this morning? So, Father, I pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So to frame this together for you, um, if you're new for us, with us this morning, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. Paul has been a believer, a Christian, for 30-plus years now. He's traveled pretty much the whole known world, and he writes these letters to the different churches that he planted on the way. And this church in Philippians, he writes this letter not to address any big sin issue, not any big theological issue, not any big, just not any big issues, but he's actually very thankful for this church. And... Paul loves this church. In fact, he's writing to this church to thank them because they were the only church out of all of the churches he planted to support him as a missionary financially. You know, I I love here at Grace Point, you guys always have your missionary highlight of the week. And you guys are supporting God's work around the world, whether it's here in the United States or outside of the United States. And it's just, it's amazing to see that. And Paul here is writing and he gives us this great model of what it looks like to have Christian gratitude. You know, gratitude is something that is not easy for us, especially as Christians. When we get something, it's hard for us to be truly thankful because a lot of times we want to say, no, no, I don't need it, I don't want it. But it's easier for us to give something sometimes. But Christian gratitude, Paul really shows how to be thankful. I mean, can you imagine being the first church to be written about in the Bible that supported a missionary? first church to be like, that supported a missionary. And they didn't just support him. You've got to imagine, they had to send Epaphroditus, one of their pastors probably, 900 miles to go visit Paul. This wasn't an easy thing. Like, it wasn't like they, they, they didn't think about this. It's not like they gave out of their abundance either. The Philippian church was a church that was impoverished, most likely. All commentators that I've read say this church was not a wealthy church in Philippi. And yet, out of their their poverty, they came together with this offering to bless Paul, to send Epaphroditus 900 miles away to give him just a little something that would help him to keep going. And Paul here is in Rome. He's in uh, Nero's prison. This isn't a great place to be. Paul is close to death. Paul's, Paul's getting older, and he's in this prison, and yet he still is writing these letters, and he still has joy, and he shows us how to have joy in this. So he begins with thanking this church for their contribution. Verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's saying, you guys would have sent something much sooner to me, I know it, but you didn't have the opportunity to. He's saying, you didn't have Epaphroditus this whole time, but once Epaphroditus came up, you were like, okay, we have someone to send now. The lack of opportunity wasn't the lack of them coming together with funds. It was the lack of them having somebody that could travel 900 miles to visit Paul in Rome. And this is the church that did this. So Paul's this great example of what true gratitude looks like. And many times, like I say, I believe it's harder for us to, to receive well than to give well. And this is something that I think does a, a huge disservice to a lot of missionaries. And I, I know, actually personally, I know more missionaries that are bad at receiving and, and it really does a disservice to their, to their ministry. They went out well, they went out and, you know, to do a great thing for the Lord, and we were all excited to support them as a church. And then you have somebody in the church, you know, let's say six months down the road, and they ask you on a Sunday morning, hey, how is Missionary Smith doing? And you say, oh, I don't know, let me, let me email them real quick, because, you know, we have this great thing called email, and we can email them. And 
You send this email, hey, what's the, what's the latest? What's God doing? What's, what's great in the kingdom of God over there? How is the kingdom being shaken over there? How is the, the Holy Spirit moving? And, and you wait. A week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, and you're kind of like, okay, where's the update? And I think if Paul, you know, if he can be our example as the first missionary, essentially, of the church, and he can send a letter with Epaphroditus 900 miles back to the Philippians with a true heartfelt, hey, this is the update. This is why I'm thankful for what you're giving me. It should give us a really clear outline of how we should be thankful in the church, amen? And especially our missionaries should be thankful. I'm just saying, like, I, just, I don't want to get too deep into this, but it's just like having a thankful heart, especially as a missionary, when we receive something that the church is sending us. We need to be consistently updating. It's something that I see that really does a disservice to a lot of missionaries. And a lot of missionaries have been let go and they become broke missionaries because they cannot maintain communication. Because they don't give a clear outline to what God is doing and what their plan is. And it's just, it's very sad to see that. And true missionaries are hard to come by. And I know a few that are real missionaries and they are very good about getting back and being very thankful for what God is doing. They're, the grace is sufficient in them. And I, and I see that. So it says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul's saying, it's not that I needed this. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You see, Paul wasn't one to go asking for money. He wasn't the missionary to, to, to film a video before a church and say, hey, we'd really like your support. We're going to go over to the Philippines. We're going to go to China. We're going to go to Russia. We're going to go plant this church out there. And I'd really like your support. No, Paul didn't ever ask for money. And this is what's so interesting with Paul. is like he actually was more content to go back to his old tent-making trade to provide for himself than he was to go asking for money. And yet he says, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I remember when I was 15 years old, I was saving up a lot of money. I wanted my first car. It was only a year away, and I turned 16, and I had so much joy to have some money saved up and go buy my very first car, a 2002 Black Ford Explorer. And I drove that thing home with so much pride and so, like, so excited and so much contentment. Like, the world was mine. I could go anywhere I wanted. It even had four-wheel drive. And, and I brought it home. I washed it. I waxed it. I spent so much time vacuuming it out. And then, you know, as the weeks went by and as I had to keep putting gas into it, and then oil came up, and I had to do the oil change, you know, that, that honeymoon phase with my first car kind of faded away, <laughs> if you will. And then I thought, okay, well, once I was 18, I was like, man, like, I'd really like to do some more off-roading. So all of a sudden, I found Jeep Wranglers. I was like, oh man, like I would really be happy with a Jeep. So I sell my car and I go and buy a Jeep Wrangler, four-wheel drive. And I'm like, man, now the desert is my toy. I put every bolt-on accessory you can minus an espresso machine on it. And, and it was great. I loved that, that, that car until I started driving to college. And then I realized, man, the wear and tear on this is killing me. I'm having to put a ton of gas in it because I get five miles to the gallon. And all of a sudden, the honeymoon phase with that faded away. In fact, that was the car a lot of, a lot of friends when I was serving at uh, Maranatha Chapel, they called it my girlfriend. So I would, would work on it so much. This is long before I met Grace. And, and it, was, it was funny. And, but you see, like this, this idea that there's always something more. There's always going to be something better to be content. Paul's addressing this issue. And I learned, I learned this lesson a little bit the hard way when I was younger. You know, I learned that there was this natural seed of discontentment inside of me. There was this natural seed of discontentment inside of me, and our consumer culture here in America was feeding it. It was watering that seed. It was making it bigger. But I also learned something else, and this is something I want you guys to remember today, that we all have a natural propensity to be discontent. 
we all have a natural tendency to be discontent. As human beings, we have a natural propensity to be discontent. Ever since I was old enough, like literally, as, as, I was old, as, as soon as I was strong enough to pull a weed out of the ground, my parents had me pulling weeds for chores. And I'm sure you guys can relate. You know, it's like you buy property and you're like, the world is mine. I have a great view. I have five acres, two acres, whatever it may be. And then you realize like, man, this is great until the weeds come up. And my parents would make me pull a little, an area of weeds, you know, on a Saturday morning. It was always Saturday mornings before I could go out and play, before I could meet with my friends, uh, before I could do, do whatever on the property that we had. And if I didn't pull enough of the weeds, they would say, okay, no, you didn't do a good enough job. You, had, you missed some. So I'd have to go back. And then usually if I missed some and I had a bad attitude with it, they'd give me another section to do. And that was just the way it goes. There was always plenty of weeds to pull. I well, you know you guys in Valley Center can relate. I learned, I learned a, a great spiritual lesson, though, doing this as a kid. I learned that weeds could grow without ever having to be planted or watered. They just grow. They just naturally want to grow out of the world. It's just like, where did they come from? I just sprayed there. You know, I, just, like, I just pulled them. And yet they want to grow. And similarly to these weeds naturally growing out of the earth, I would say covetousness and discontentment naturally grow in man. That's a spiritual lesson I learned, that covetousness and discontentment naturally grow in us. It's almost like God designed us to always be discontent with anything this world has to offer until we find him. That he's the only thing that can fill that discontentment that is inside of each one of us. I mean, let's look about it this way. Like, did you ever have to teach a child how to complain? (laughs) Did we ever have to teach a kid how to complain? I mean, literally, straight out of the womb, a baby's complaining. (laughs) It's hungry, it's dirty, and then you hear a little, and it's like, oh, what's complaining again? It starts crying because you need to clean me. Like, there's, it just, you never had to teach an infant how to complain. You don't have to teach an adult how to complain. We learned it from birth. You see where I'm going with this? Being discontent is natural in us. And especially here in America, our consumer culture really feeds and grows off of that discontentment inside of us. It always tells us there's something more that you can have you go buy a new car, and they say, this is the best of the best. You're never going to find anything better than that. And then you own that car for a year, and then the dealership contacts you again and says, hey, we'd love for you to trade in that car because it's old. Like, there's a better one out here. It's better than you'll ever imagine. Like, there's always something more. If you're renting right now, you're going to be thinking, like, I could just, I would just love to own a home until you own a home, and you realize, i got to replace the floor. i got to redo the bathroom. All of a sudden, you're discontent with it. There's always something more. And I found that if you, want, if you want a garden to have anything valuable grow in it, if you want to be able to grow those tomatoes, if you want to be able to grow your lettuce in this garden, you have to cultivate it. It doesn't grow naturally in the earth. You have to protect it because there's animals that are going to want to come in and eat it. You have to put some cover over it because if too much sun gets onto it, it's going to burn it. You have to cultivate it in the earth. You have to really care for it. You have to water it. These good things that come out of the earth. Similarly, I would say contentment is one of the flowers of earth, as Charles Spurgeon would say, that does not grow naturally in us. We have to cultivate it. We have to cultivate contentment. And how do we do that? Well, first I would ask us this question. Are we saturated in the presence of God? Have we received his living water? Because without that, without that, we won't be content. You can look for anything in this world. You can buy anything that this world has to offer and you won't be content. Paul says, I have learned to be content. 
So interesting fact, if you type in, are Americans content on Google, a lot of interesting articles come up. And a lot of people have done studies on this, especially recently, 2017, 16, and 18, and this year even, they're, they're continuing these studies on America's happiness. We're one of the wealthiest nations in the world. We have one of the, some of the most opportunity of the world for people that live in America. Like We have the ability to do just about anything we want. We can start a business. We can, we can work wherever we want, whether we're a man or a woman, no matter whether we were poor or rich starting out. like We can do whatever we want in, here in America. And yet, this art, one of these articles said people in America spend more time, emotional energy, and money on the quest for contentment than any nation on earth. How interesting is that? That they spend more time, emotional energy, and money on the quest for contentment than any other nation on earth. And this was a study that they actually did. These, they sent out these, these studies um, around the world to, just, to, just to compare contentment levels, essentially, to compare happiness. And Americans weren't that happy. It's interesting. We live in a culture where happiness has become the ultimate consumer product. Happiness has become the ultimate consumer product here. And quite honestly, like if we lived in a world of complete contentment, if you will, of universal contentment, that would be paradise restored. That would be heaven. We aren't there yet, church. So the problem is, though, is that when we've been blessed by by God's mercies, we have to realize if everything's been given to us by God, if we've been blessed by God's mercies in this life, we often will find that we have very little of God's grace and we've forgotten to have gratitude for the blessings that we've received. The, the truth is, is that you can't be content without learning how to be content. And you can't learn how to be content without being disciplined. I'll say that one again. The truth is we can't be content without learning how to be content and we can't learn how to be content without discipline. There's a discipline that goes to it. And Paul, Paul shares that this is so important that we learn this, that we learn how to be content because those who are content, you know, if you think about it like this, and I was trying to, trying to form this together in my head this last week, is like if you have somebody new come into a church, they're unchurched, they're looking for God, they're looking for answers, they left their home where there is sin, where there is problems, where there is brokenness, where there was discontentment, where people were bitter and angry, and they come into our church family and they find more people that are just discontent with life, are they going to stick around? God has so much more for us, church. For those of you that believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that have been saved, that have the Holy Spirit and dwell inside of you, we need to learn this. Paul said he had to learn how to be content. It wasn't like he woke up one morning, like the day after Jesus knocked him off his donkey and saved him, and he was like, I'm content. No, he was blind. He had to go find somebody to heal him. Paul had to learn how to be content. And I have no doubt that there was times where Paul thought, I've achieved it. I finally learned how to be content. And then all of a sudden he was shipwrecked for the third time. And he's like, Lord, like what's going on here? You know, all of a sudden he, he's having to make tents again. He's making the 50th tent just to provide for his next meal. Lord, what's going on? Paul knows that there's always going to be another reason to complain, and he always he had to learn this. He had to learn this the hard way. You know, after 30-plus years in ministry, he learned it. He's saying, I can learn how to be content. There's a secret to being content. So verse 12, let's continue on here. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, and abundance, and need. 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He's saying, look, I know how to live with nothing, with humble means. But I also know how to live in prosperity. I've been in Bill Gates' house. I know how to do that. He's saying, I've lived in Bill Gates' house, and I've also lived on the streets of Escondido, if you will. I've had steak and lobster dinners, and I've had a Coke and some ramen. He knows how to do that. He's convinced this is a lesson we need to learn. But it's hard for us as Americans, and why is it hard? I think it's because it's so much easier to be empty than it is to be full. What I mean by that is Americans are always searching to be filled by something. We, are, we all are because we're discontent. So we're searching to be filled by something, and then, but we never have like a, a limit for fill, fullness. Like we never have that, that limit or that, that, that place where we reach where we're like, okay, I'm finally full. I, I've reached my, my peak. No, it's like we always reach that, and then there's something else. But it's much easier to learn how to be empty. Many of us have gone through that. We've gone through hard times where we didn't know if the next paycheck was going to cover the mortgage bill. You know, where we, where we had hard times where we had to pay off some, some medical expenses. Where our car broke down, we had to change the transmission out because, yeah, that's not cheap. That took all your savings away. We know how to be empty, but it's much harder to be full. And my prayer for us this morning is that you guys, we would learn how to be full in Christ. That we would learn how to be full. And I think that we need to make that a big part of our prayer life. In any and every circumstance, Paul's saying in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's not saying like only in abundance, only in plenty, I've learned how to be content. He's saying in any and every circumstance, that, that doesn't leave much for our imagination. It's any and every. It's like everything you can think of, Paul can be abundant. Paul can be, he can be satisfied. He can be content. You know, in fact, God loves, I think, he, he loves this idea of being content so much that he actually put these five books in the middle of our Bible called the wisdom books or wisdom literature, if you will. And if you open up right in the middle of your Bible, you're going to see those five books. Those five books are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. These are all great books to read. These are all great books to read. In fact, he gives us these books. Why? Because he wants us to know that Jesus is enough. What we need is Jesus. It's kind of like when we do our, our VBS, our Vacation Bible School, it's like the answer is always Jesus. And it literally is. Like, it's true in life. Like, what we need is Jesus. We don't need the next car necessarily. We don't need it. We just need, we need Jesus. So he gives us these books. Job, for one, is this man who lost everything. He was a wealthy man who had a big family. And then all of a sudden, if you think your life is bad, read this book because you're going to feel a lot better about yourself. It's like he had a huge family. And one day, a servant comes to him and tells him, like, hey, all of your, friends, all of your family members, all of your sons and their wives and your daughters and their husbands were all in this house partying. And all of a sudden, like, fire from heaven came down and consumed them. It's like, whoa. And then the same time, it's like, hey, all your fields just burned up, by the way. It's like all this stuff happens like right back to back to back. And then all, to, to top it off, he has these three friends that want to just tell him, like, you must have done something bad to God. Like, you must have just like really, really, you know, messed with him or something. Like, he doesn't like you right now. And he's trying to say, and then his wife is even is coming to him and say, curse God and die. <laughs> that, was, that was the response. There was, it was that bad. He lost everything and learned how to be content in God. Because he, his answer to his wife was, shall we accept only good from God and not trouble? That's an interesting response. There's so much spiritual wisdom in the book of Job. Shall we accept only good from God and not trouble? 
That we can, we can have nothing and we can be content with God. That we can be content with the richness that God has to offer us. But then you have Ecclesiastes because we don't want you to think like, okay, if you're poor, then a lot of people just think, if I just had money, if I just had money, like everything would be better. Well, not necessarily. That's why they gave us the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, you have Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, one of the, the, the wealthiest man to ever roam this world. He made Bill Gates look like a beggar. Solomon had everything. He, compl- he accomplished everything. He built everything. He had all the, the pleasure he could possibly ask for. He had all the knowledge and wisdom he could possibly ask for. He had it all. And you look through the book of Ecclesiastes and everything is meaningless under the sun. He's saying our meaning is found beyond the sun. It's found beyond what's under and in the earth here. It's found in Jesus. He's saying, our, my contentment can only be fulfilled in Jesus. I've tried everything in this world has to offer, and I found it to be empty in me. It satisfied me for a week. Then I moved on to the next thing, which satisfied me. But he, he ended up realizing that there was a, a natural progression there, is that I'm not going to be satisfied with anything this world has to offer, except Jesus. Solomon found that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of what he possesses. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of what he possesses. But I would also say that he found that an ounce, a little ounce of contentment was worth a ton of gold. That's a, that's a true lesson for us to learn right there. An ounce of contentment is worth a ton of gold. But Job and Ecclesiastes show us that there's this great truth here found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that there is great gain in godliness with contentment. So if you guys would turn there, 1 Timothy is just to the right, um, not very far, honestly, it's probably just a couple pages away. You go through First and Second Thessalonians, and then you'll see First Timothy. I mean, First Timothy chapter six. But keep your finger in Philippians if you can. First Timothy six. We're going to be starting in verse six through ten. It says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world." But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is one that I want you guys to be able to out- underline this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you have that in your Bible, that should be underlined right there. Godliness with contentment. Why? Because Paul is trying to make the point here that you, can have, you can't have contentment without godliness. You can't have gain in godliness without contentment. Why is that, Why is that so important for us to, to realize today? Is because the most, I would say, the most popular kind of Christianity today is the Christianity that says, come to God and you're going to get healthy, wealthy, and happy. It's called the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard of it. There's a lot of people on TV that will proclaim this gospel. And if you just support my ministry, if you just support this ministry, God's going to bless you. You give me $100, God's going to give you 1000 You give me 1000 God's going to give you 10000 You know, it goes like this. And because and Paul, you know, if you, if you read earlier on in, in, in 1 Timothy, that can be your homework this week, he talks about these false teachers that say there's gain in godliness. They take the the promises that God gives us. There's a lot of great promises in the Word of God. If you read the Word of God, there's a lot of great promises in here. 
A lot of these great promises, though, we are going to be receiving when we are in heaven. So what these people have is an, what I would call an over-realized eschatology. That they say these promises, uh, you know, the promise that we can be healthy. Yes, God promises eternal health. He does. When he restores our body, when he pulls us out of the grave and he makes us new, he gives us the glorified body. That's never going to experience any kind of disease. We're never going to experience any more kind of sin in our body. We're going to be with God eternally, but that's in heaven. Yes, he promises us wealth. He does in heaven. You know, we're going to be looking at Matthew, uh, or Matthew chapter 6 next week a little bit, and Jesus is talking about this very point is that we are putting treasures in heaven. We are sowing into the kingdom of heaven while we're here on this earth. That there's a way that we can actually sow into something that is supernatural, that is eternal, that we will receive later. It's this whole idea that when we can just put a little bit of money away, it's like your 401k or something, we put a little bit of money away now, and then all of a sudden you get it later. It's the same kind of thing with spiritually, but it's even greater than that. But who doesn't want to be physically healthy? No more cancer, no more headaches, no more pains, no more bad knees. But then they also say, God wants you to be material wealthy. Yes, okay, that, that sounds great too. Like, I would love to have money. Like, having money is great whether you're rich or you're poor. It's nice to have money. If you like the sound of that, God also wants you to be happy. And this is the most popular version of Christianity today, I would say, especially in America. The problem is, is that it's a fake Christianity. That it's not Christianity at all. It's fake news preached by a fake Christians proclaiming a fake gospel, church. I mean, you look back at history, and it, we never have this kind of experience as Christians. It's a, just a simple look back in history of the church, and you'll find that Christians don't experience that. Why do I, what do I mean by that? Well, the guys that are getting rich on this kind of teaching are the ones that are teaching it. They're the only ones that are getting rich on it. 30 years of following Christ, Paul was homeless. He was having to work to support himself. He got sick. He had pains. You know, he had so much pain, in fact, that, that God actually sent, you know, Satan himself sent his own messenger to give Paul certain pains that we won't be able to understand necessarily. And Paul asked the Lord to remove these pains from his body and the Lord said, no, like, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is perfect in weakness. Now, that's interesting. But that was Paul's experience as a Christian for 30 years. You look at, you look at Jesus. Look, look at his life real quick. Jesus, while he walked the earth, how many people did he heal? Did he heal everyone? He healed a lot of people, yes. But did he heal everyone? No, there were still sick people after Jesus died and rose again. When Jesus fed people, did he feed everyone? No, there were still hungry people after Jesus left, and he left the apostles there to go do that work. The poor you will have with you always, he said. Was Jesus materially wealthy? No. He was homeless. He literally had to travel from home to home, like sleeping wherever he could with his disciples. If you look at the, just the, the, the facts of the Bible, and you look at the life of Jesus, the life of Paul, the life of the apostles, you'll realize that, that there is so much more to life than health, wealth, and happiness. Those are all things that God wants to give us ultimately. That's our ultimate destination, if you will. But Paul had to address this because the rich will fall into temptations. The desire for richness will draw them away from God. You know, what our hearts are wrapped in, if it's not God, it's going to draw us away from him your heart's wrapped up in money if you just think by having a bigger paycheck you're going to be happier that's not necessarily true our hearts need to be wrapped up in christ 
Um, Paul's not saying it's bad to have nice things. I don't, don't get me wrong. There's, there's a lot of men, godly men and godly women that I know that make a lot of money that support the church. They see it as one of their, their goals is to give money to the church, to support missionaries. They do the work of God that way. Some of these men even live off just a very small fraction of what they make and give the rest away. It's not bad to have nice things in life. It's not bad if you can afford a Ferrari and give a bunch of money to the church and that doesn't necessarily, you can still give out of your abundance, I guess, and it can still hurt essentially in that way. It's not detrimental to have nice things, but it's detrimental when nice things have you. It's all of a sudden when you have that car and, all of a sudden, and then when it breaks down, your heart's broken, you're getting mad at God, you're getting mad at everyone around you. It's detrimental when nice things have us when we're wrapped up in these things that the world has to offer. It's not good for us. It causes stress and anxiety. If you want to hear more about that, you can listen to last week's message if you weren't here. <laughs> God, God wants to let us know this morning that our inheritance in this life right now was not health, wealth, and happiness when we became believers. Our inheritance as believers is that we were born again. That the old has passed away, the new has come. We are new beings created in Christ for his good purposes. We've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God that's given us this promise that we're going to heaven. That's good news, amen? amen? Our inheritance is that we are born again. This is the good news. And, and in Philippians 4, we'll conclude with uh, the, the last two verses, 13 and 14, another verse that people take out of context all the time, and I love it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many of you guys have heard that verse? How many of you guys have a coffee mug that has that verse on it? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> I, th- I think it's funny. Like, what is that verse doing on a coffee mug? I hear this verse spoken all the time, whether it's at an athlete's game. You know, usually it's at baseball games or soccer games or basketball games. And they'll, they'll pray over these athletes and just say, you guys can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can shoot that hoop. You can kick that goal. You can, you can jump over that next hurdle because Christ is going to give you strength. And I kind of laugh a little bit because the verse means so much more than they realize. They take this verse to realize that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's like, okay, Christ has given me strength. I can handle it. And I know a lot of men who quoted this verse right before lifting something way too heavy and hurt their backs. (laughs) Oh, and I know some of you guys know people like that. It's like, I can do it. I can lift 500 pounds. It's like, no, you really shouldn't. But you see where this verse can go. And I kind of of say that as as a joke a little bit. This verse can lead us down some, some pretty funny paths. And yet what Paul meant by this was so much deeper. It was so much deeper than that. Paul's saying that I found the secret to being content in all circumstances in life, being poor, being wealthy, having abundance, having need, being hurt, being, you know, you just, you name it. He has all these things listed out for us. If you just go back to verse 12, he's saying in all of those things, so, okay, if you have your Bible open back in Philippians chapter 4, underline those things that he said. We see here, brought low in any and every circumstance. Having, or facing plenty. How about, how about facing hunger? You know, it's like these things here. He's saying, it's not just in all good things that I can, that can accomplish through Christ who gives me strength. No, he's saying in all things. And in fact, I think if we were to give, if I was to, if I was to rewrite this verse for Christians in America today, more, a more literal translation that what, of what Paul meant was, I can endure all of those things, all things that life can throw at me through Christ who gives me strength. I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can have joy in all things through Christ who gives me strength. This book is all about joy. I can be content in all things, and all of those things through Christ who gives me strength. 
in Christ. If you're outside of Christ and you're saying this verse, like it doesn't work. You have to be in Christ to receive this strength of Christ in those circumstances. You're saying, well, Garrett, like I, I, I don't think that you understand what I'm going through. I have a reason to complain. I have a reason to be discontent with life. I have cancer. I have dying loved ones. I, I have to pay off a credit card. I have all of these things going on. What's the secret to contentment? You don't have a reason to complain. Paul is saying right here, the secret to contentment is being in Christ and receiving the strength of Christ in those circumstances, that you can be content. And a large part of that happens in our minds. The Bible is very clear about that. Uh, you don't have to open up there, but Romans 12, 2, you can write that in your notes. Romans 12, 2, I'll read it for you. It says this, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12.2. A large part of this, being contentment, receiving the strength of Christ to, to be able to go through all of these circumstances in life is, is being saturated in the presence of God, where fullness of joy is found, where contentment is found, and then having him renew our minds. You know, when I wake up every morning, a lot of people ask, Garrett, how do you, Pastor Garrett, how do you, how do you pray? Well, most of the time when I wake up in the morning, I say, God, you know what's going to be happening today. I pray that you would renew my mind and prepare me for that. Prepare me to be a good example of your son, Jesus Christ, to those people that I'm going to be interacting with today. Give me grace for them. Give me patience. Give me gentleness with them. But Lord, you have to renew my mind. Why? Because our minds are naturally prone to be discontent with what we have. Our minds are naturally prone to that. We have to be renewed daily, church. We have to be renewed daily. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Paul's saying, look, it's, it's easy to be conformed to this world, to go buy the next great thing that you want because, you know, we live in this consumer culture where happiness can be packaged and purchased. It just doesn't work. There's always going to be something else that you have to buy. Your minds need to be renewed. You can endure all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can be content in all things through Christ who gives you strength. And as I said it before, the fullness of joy in life is found in the presence of God. If we are not spending time in the presence of God, being saturated in the presence of God, how are we supposed to stand firm on Christ the solid rock? I know I love that we spoke, we, we talked about this, this uh, we sang this song, and it was a little bit of a glimpse of heaven, I think, the cornerstone song. Christ, the solid rock, I, I, I stand. You know, I stand on Christ. I stand on all that he's done for me. I can stand firm in Christ. This is what Paul's been talking about. I can stand firm in Christ, and I can be strengthened in Christ no matter what I'm going through. In all of these things, I can be strong because Christ gives me strength in my weakness, he is strong. His grace is sufficient for me so I can endure because I'm looking forward to something that's much better that's to come. I'm looking forward to the glory that's to come. And we need our minds to be renewed daily so we can have that heavenly perspective that no matter what's happening today, God is still in control. Because that's ultimately what we freak out about is when we start looking at life situations and we are in this position of poverty, we're in this position of health problems, we're in this position where it's like we are not high. We're not in these spiritual highs right now, we'll say. And we want to look at that and we, and we think like, God, I can't handle that. 
God's saying, well, you need to be saturated in my presence. It's where fullness of joy is found. You need to have your mind renewed so your perspective is accurate and you can see past all these things. You can kind of zoom out a little bit of the lens and you can see the full perspective here of what's happening. That happiness, that joy, that contentment is not found here on this earth. It's found beyond it in heaven. It's found in Christ. It's found on the solid rock that we can stand on in Christ that will help us to, be, to stand firm through all of life's circumstances. I'll, I'll end with this and I'll leave you guys with, with this. Jesus wasn't content until he had given us all that he had. Jesus wasn't content until he gave us all that he had. And I believe that we won't be content until we give him all that we have. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you that you are the solid rock on which we can stand. Lord, we we acknowledge that all other ground is indeed sinking sand. Lord, that we will sink into this world trying trying to be content with it, trying to be content with what we can buy, trying to be content with what we can achieve. God, I pray for those this morning who are discontent. Lord, I ask that you would renew our minds. Lord, would you give us and refresh the heavenly perspective inside of us. Father, I pray that your spirit would do the work of of getting every single part of our our being, our our soul that is discontent, Lord. Would you saturate that in in your presence? Lord, would you help us to stand strong through all of the trials of life, through all of the difficulties of life, Lord, and would you remind us that we can endure all things that life can throw at us, not just its comforts and riches, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us, and I pray that you would go before us this week, Lord. Help us to be an example to the world, a light and a salt and a good witness. I pray that you would strengthen us this morning, Lord. I pray that we would receive the strength in Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name. The church said, amen.